gathered together from deep within the Speed Force are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the fastest man alive, The Flash. No, no, no. That was last time. Let's try it again. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast The New 52 Adventures of Superman Superman Forever Radio I've got a few things to say about Superman The Carousel Podcast The Superman Vidcast The World's Best Podcast And... Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There, that's better. Thanks. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 72 of Superman in the Bronze Age. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and hopefully you guys enjoyed last episode's April Fool's joke. It was a lot of fun to put together, let me tell you. Uh, in fact, I'd like to take a moment just to thank Dave Walker, Billy Hogan, Michael Bailey, John Wilson, J. David Weeder, and Steve Eunice for their help in putting together the fake Flash Podcast Network promo. I hope you were able to check out some of their April Fool's hijinks, April Fool's hijinks, uh, such as the fake news stories on the Superman homepage and the episode of Superman Forever Radio that was hijacked by Darkseid and his parademon Clyde, which was actually really funny. So you know, check that out. Also, I want to give an extra special thank you to Dave uh, Weeder for doing a bang-up job with the kid in the Flash kid in the flash with the kid flash and the teen titan story because that really made the flash in the bronze age seem correct um now that i've got all that mushy stuff out of the way let's get down to business first i need to point out that this episode is brought to you by the letters l and l and the number 75 just kidding uh this episode is actually brought to you by discount comics comic book service did you know that you can earn 5% from your Comixology, Diamond Digital, or My Digital Comics orders at DCBS? You can. Just use the buttons on the DCBS homepage to place your Comixology or Diamond Digital orders, and you'll earn 5% back from those orders to apply toward your DCBS orders. Do you pretty much only buy digital comics now? 
well, then you can use your 5% to save up for that special hardcover for your bookshelf. So check them out at dcbs.com. Next up, we have, oh my stars and garters, a comment and an email. Whoa! We never get feedback on this show. This is awesome. The comment is from Robert, last name withheld. And he writes, I would just like to say thank you for reposting those two episodes I emailed you about. I'm finally caught up, and I really love your show. FYI, one of those shows you reposted for me was completely worth it just to hear David's Michael Jackson impersonation, which was amazing. But for this episode, which is episode 70, I just want to say that it was great as usual, and it's nice to hear from John Wilson every once in a while. On a final note... I would like to say that I, too, am a huge Dr. Horrible fan and would like to make a note about that sequel that is yet to happen. In an interview recently, Whedon was asked if the success of the Veronica Mars Kickstarter campaign means a possible Firefly sequel in the future, and he said, It also remains the case that I'm booked up by Marvel for the next three years and that I haven't been able to get Dr. Horrible 2 off the ground because of that. Which is weird, since he was being asked about Firefly, and he mentions Dr. Horrible, too, but, you know, whatever. Well, thank you, Robert. Uh, Robert emailed me a few weeks back about um, a couple of the older episodes not being complete. Uh, Somehow, they just didn't upload completely and cut off partway through. So, I uploaded the full episodes, and that's what he's thanking me for. He was able to hear them, finally. But, and I believe all the other episodes are complete, but if anyone out there finds another incomplete episode, please email me at superbronze1970 at gmail.com so I can look into it and get it fixed so that you know everyone can get their full episode. As for the Dr. Horrible update, thanks, Robert. I guess it does make sense what with Avengers 2 and the upcoming S.H.I.E.L.D. series that we just wouldn't have time for anything else, let alone a personal project like Dr. Horrible. So I guess we'll just have to be a little more patient. Uh, Also, Dave's Michael Jackson impersonation is pretty amazing and not at all bad. That that was terrible. Anyway, moving on, we have an email. Email from Russell Bragg. And he writes, Boy, was I suckered in for the first few seconds. You talking Flash instead of Superman didn't phase me knowing we were around April Fool's, but the Flash Podcast Network promo fooled me completely. I didn't think anything about it knowing that the Superman Podcast Network and the Batman Podcast Connection were around, so why not one for the Flash? I almost wrote down I almost wrote down to remind me when I got home the Jay Garrick podcast. Then I heard the Flash Fan Podcast from Crisis to Crisis, a Flash Podcast, etc., and I knew I had been had. All in good fun. Glad that caught you. Uh, And thanks for the fun remembrance of the Roadrunner Wiley Coyote song. I hadn't heard it in years. Overall, it was a great episode. The Barry Allen Flash is one of my favorites, so I enjoy hearing his comic stories. I enjoy the Teen Titans, too, so I enjoyed Jay David's portion of the show also. I was struck, like you were, how much more docile the reverse Flash was in the Bronze Age. All he wanted was Iris as his own. Killing Barry was just a means to get her. Like, he really had a chance, anyway. Are you planning anything special for Superman's 75th, podcast-wise, or for your 75th episode? Not to pressure you any, but I miss your questions to the listener about favorites, imaginary story, writer, artist, etc. Hope I haven't rambled on too much. I usually have no problem starting an email to a podcaster, but always have trouble ending it. So I'll just end it by letting you know I really enjoy your podcast and eagerly await your 
eagerly await each episode. Signed, Russell Bragg. Well, thank you for the kind words, Russell. This show is a lot more fun to do when I hear that people are actually enjoying it, and hearing that both you and Robert are enjoying the show is really awesome. So thank you for the kind words. Uh, About The Flash, uh, reading that classic Flash story was fun, despite what I have been saying in the episode. Uh, The only other pre-Crisis Flash I'd ever read before prepping for the April Fool's joke was... Barry's debut in Showcase and The Flash of Two Worlds, so it was pretty cool to actually dip my toes in that particular pool, I guess you could say. Um, It has ignited an interest in reading more pre-Crisis Flash stuff, so I'll have to get on that one of these days. I mean, I haven't actually read much of, or had, I haven't really had much of a chance to read much pre-Crisis anything outside of the Superman books, so it might be fun to look at the other corners of the DC multiverse at the time. Um, As for Superman 75th, um, this whole year has been about Superman 75th, and I'm doing my part by and I'm doing my part by going through some of the biggest and coolest Superman stories from the Bronze Age era in a somewhat chronological order. As for my 75th episode, celebrating that kind of has yeah celebrating that has kind of taken a backseat to Superman 75th but I can tell you that if everything works out as planned episode 75 will be a broad overview of the Superman titles in the first half of the 80s following 74 episode 74 which covers the 70s I'm sorry there isn't more but after that, I do have some movie commentaries, which will cross over with my other show, Charlie's Geekcast, but I'll get more into that next month. And then there's some more big super events that will feature some super guests if schedules line up like we're hope- like I'm hoping. As for the questions, um, I stopped them because I was actually having trouble coming up with new ones. But I'll tell you what. I'll work on coming up with some, and to all you listeners... Feel free to submit your own super questions. I'll compile them all together, and around episode 100, which should be next year, so you have one year, uh, by episode 100, we'll start them up again. So how about that? And that's it for the listener feedback this time around. Um, So here's a couple promos, and then we'll move on to the next segment. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Ready to form Voltron! Or maybe... How about... I am Batman! Or... This is a job for Superman! Do you remember... Power Rangers! Or this? Right away, Michael. Or maybe even this? Autobots! Transform! Or this... By the power of Grayskull! Or... For the honor of Grayskull! Or have you seen the latest episode of... Hello. I'm the Doctor. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then check out Charlie's Geekcast, hosted by me, Charlie Niemeyer. Charlie's Geekcast is a bi-weekly podcast covering comics and other geek stuff. The first episode of each month is devoted to comics, where, currently, I'm covering Grant Morrison's run on JLA... 
one storyline at a time. The other episode of the month is devoted to whatever else I want to talk about, such as movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, and more. Feel free to check it out at www.charliesgeekcast.com. You'll be glad you did. Well, hopefully... Well, hello there. I'm J. David Weeder. You may know me from the internet. Come in. Enjoy my palatial Arctic estate. Ah, I see you notice the smell of mahogany and my hardback archive and showcase editions. Yeah, I do all right for myself. Listen, why don't you get cozy here with me on my titano skin rug while Metello mixes us up a drinky drink? Metello, soda cola martini, shaken. Look, I want you to come with me to a place. A place where it's only you and me and the Man of Steel. Maybe Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane? Wait, wait, where are you going? No, this isn't me coming on to you. This is a podcast promo. What I'm trying to propose is joining me weekly like Clark Kent did when he threw the green crystal into the water and saw Marlon Brando's giant head appear. Only in podcast form and my head just won't even be visible because it is an audio medium. Once a week, delve into the world of Superman with me on Superman Forever Radio. Look at comics, toy lines, TV series, characters, creators, anything and everything connected to the Man of Steel. Every Sunday at supermanforever.com, iTunes, and other podcatchers. Superman Forever Radio, fighting for truth and justice forever. That's supermanforever.com. See, I didn't mean what you thought I meant. It's all good. And yes, this is a new glowing white Kryptonian robe. Thank you so much for noticing. And yes, that is Lori Lamaris lounging by the pool. Don't tell her, but we're having smoked salmon for dinner and she takes it very personally. And you know who can't take a joke? Terra Man. You get one Glue Factory reference and he's up in arms. Superman Forever Radio. Keeping J. David Weeder off the streets so you don't have to. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay, over the last two regular Superman in the broadca- broadcast, Superman in the Bronze Age episodes, uh, John Wilson and I covered the story in the Superman Spectacular. But there was another feature that I wanted to cover as well that we hadn't gotten to yet. However, John went and got a job, so yay, John! But it means he's not going to be able to have time to be here because he's busy making a living and feeding his family and his comics habit. So you're just going to have to listen to me but myself. So this last section of the issue was a feature in which most of the Superman creative team at the time, plus one fan, were asked if Lois and Superman should ever get married. Now keep in mind that this was asked back in 1977, almost 20 years before they actually did tie the knot in the comics and on television. In fact, technically, the then-current versions of the characters are very different from the post-crisis versions that actually did get married, so keep all of that in mind when you hear these responses. Um, First up, we have an answer from one of Superman's original creators, Mr. Jerry Siegel, and he writes, Should Superman marry Lois Lane? It's almost like asking if we should ignore pollution and power shortages, if we should deliberately bankrupt our nation, or if the Republicans and Democrats should merge into one political party. I think the answer should be 
no. And that's bolded, by the way. We, While almost everybody, including me, would like to see Superman marry Lois, I don't think it would be good for the longevity of the Superman comic books. Once the novelty of such a unique change in format had worn off, we would be stuck with too drastic an alteration from the original and successful premise. Instead of Superman bring, being primarily concerned with using his almost limitless abilities to help a troubled world, he would be diverting... He would be diverted into worrying about such matters as if his baby needed to have his diaper changed, and hoping his super memory wouldn't falter so that, God forbid, he might forget the wedding anniversary of Lois and himself. I do think that occasional stories based on the theme of a hypothetical marriage between Superman and Lois would be interesting, though if presented as was done years ago in imaginary tales. In the 1960s, under the editorial inspiration and guidance of then-editor Mort Weisinger, I wrote such tales for the Lois Lane magazine, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Clark, Superman Kent, Lois Lane's super daughter, the wife of Superman, Lois Lane and Superman newlyweds, the three wives of Superman, and others. I also scripted a story in which Superman married Lana Lang, and stories in which Lois married Luther. It was fun doing these offbeat stories because it showed facets of the personalities of both Superman and Lois which otherwise would never have been depicted. It was interesting and reassuring to reveal that despite his physical and mental superiority, Superman sometimes enjoyed and sometimes suffered from the very same human emotions we all have. Should Superman marry Lois? No. Should there be more imaginary tales concerning such a marriage? Yes. And that's what that was, Jerry. So basically, no. Uh, so that's one for the no's, none for no for the yeses. Let's see what we have next. Next up, we have one from Martin pa from Marty Pasco, who at the time had just started a his run on the Superman books, uh, on Superman, and I think he was also writing a few of the DC Comics Presents title. But this is what he has to say. <clears throat> I'm sitting in the office of His Editorial Highness Julius Schwartz when he suddenly asks me if Superman should marry Lois Lane. I ask him if it's a trick question, thinking he's going to throw one of his celebrated Schwartzian plot twists into the Superman I'm plotting. With his assurances to the contrary, I hie myself to the nearest typewriter to ruminate and cogitate with the following results. The nicest thing about being a Superman writer is that the characters you deal with have been around so long they have a life of their own. After nearly forty years of existence, you think they have a right you'd think they have a right to lives of their own, wouldn't you? So, in answer to this earth shattering question, I must journey to a private corner of my mind in which these fictional characters do exist as real people, the place to which I trek to speak to them and ask Lois herself. She ought to have something to say about the matter, right? Actually, Marty, Lois is saying to me as the trip to this private place in my Meshuggah mind is completed, at the moment I'd say no. I mean, why should I marry him? He hardly knows I exist. That old excuse for not tying the knot, the one he used to hand me when we were going together, the one about how my life would be endangered by his enemies if I were Mrs. Superman, was a crock. I get into enough hassles just being Mrs. Lois Lane. So thinking that I was getting nowhere with the big fella, I turned my amorous attentions to Clark Kent. Now that relation is complete, or now that relationship is complete, and there's a small indication I may rekindle my old flames with Superman. But I'm not holding my breath. I am, how would you put it, between men at the moment. So why should I marry someone who doesn't know I'm alive at the moment? Thanks, Lois. 
I had two pages to fill in this script I'm working on C, and you've just given me something to fill it with. As for the rest of you who are not privy to private conversations such as the ones transcribed above, I refer you to future issues of Superman magazine in which the answer to this momentous question is forthcoming. Unless Lois decides to be uncooperative. So I guess that's another no. So that's two for the no's. Next up, they asked Mort Weisinger, editor for the Silver Age. And he says, Should the world's most eligible bachelor walk the middle aisle with Lois Lane? Or should their relationship end up unfulfilled a romance on the rocks? In the three decades I edited the Superman family of magazines, which was 1940 to 1970, countless letters and petitions crossed my desk demanding the wedding bells ring for the Man of Steel and his old maiden-waiting. I always copped out when it came to coping with the I-do bit. I still experienced guilt pangs from the way I conditioned my reluctant writers into conning, stinging, and hoaxing the fans, letting them see Superman and Lois sign a marriage license, giving her a diamond so huge it would make Liz Taylor drop dead, leading the pair up the altar, and then, just before the Justice of the Peace legalized the merger, springing some sneaky gimmick on the reader which rendered the ceremony a bust. Love never conquered all in these tease tales, and we made sure never to break Lois's heart. We just let it crack a bit. A few smart Alex wrote in that Lois was not good enough to marry Superman, because she was a dingbat. Which, this is me talking, uh, in the 60s she kind of was. Back to the letter. If she didn't, <clears throat> If she didn't realize that Clark was the Man of Steel only because he wore glasses, then she really was the closet imbecile they maintained. I countered that this premise, accepted worldwide by millions, was analogous to the Cinderella fallacy. To explain, everyone knows that at midnight all of Cinderella's finery turned into rags. Yet, have you ever heard anyone ask why one of her slippers still remained glass? So much for these wise guys. What does the future hold for Lois if we let her follow the Mary Tyler Moore spinster syndrome? Is she off? Is she doomed to seeing her girlfriends getting married off, eating TV dinners by herself, and watching The Late Show? My solution is to have Clark confess his secret to Lois, then marry her in his civilian identity. Their wedded bliss could be detailed in a newly spun-off magazine, Mr. and Mrs. Superman. The newlyweds could settle down as ordinary citizens in a suburban home, raise a family, and make beautiful music together. Those opposed to this concept can continue reading the current group of magazines, where they can enjoy the sight of gradually seeing Lois's looks fade, wrinkles crevice her face, using spectacles to help her vision, and guzzling geritol to give her vim. Then they can also look forward to see Lois pull out her gray hair when she recalls all the dreamboat suitors she jilted while waiting in vain for that super bum to propose. Signed, Mord Weisinger. Ironic, something similar to that does happen a little bit later, but anyway. Okay, so that is one for yes, two for no. Next up, we have Denny O'Neill, who has possibly the longest, and by that I mean the shortest, response in this issue. He writes, Superman marry Lois Lane? This is asked in jest, I hope. Look, Dante didn't marry Beatrice, and Cyrano didn't marry Roxanne, and Trollus didn't marry Cressida, and all that, and that's all to the good. Marriage has never been a part of a, of the really major romances, except for that of Othella and Desdemona. And as soon as they said the vows, they began to have troubles as you wouldn't believe. Unrequited loves are the big crowd pleasers. They're so pristine and unmessy. 
Next up, they asked Lynn Ween, who has written, who wrote Superman off and on again during the Bronze Age. And he wrote, Should Superman marry Lois Lane? I mulled the question over in the back of my mind for quite a while, and the answer came back a resounding no. After all, would the Lone Ranger marry Tonto? Would Starsky marry Hutch? Would Charlie Chan marry his number one son? Of course not. At least not without destroying the very precepts each series is based on. Marry Superman and Lois Lane, and you take away almost 40 years of the greatest of the great American mythos. Take away Lois's eternal inquisitiveness. Take away her constant snooping, her loving... Wow. Her loving bitchiness. Take away everything we've come to know and identify with Lois over the past four decades, and you destroy one of the great comic book cliches of our time. Think about it. Lois Lane married to Superman would very likely become Nancy and Sluggo in, blue long, in long blue underwear. I can see the scene now. Er, Superman, darling. On your way out of the Fortress of Solitude to stop Lex Luthor from conquering the world for the fourteenth time this week, would you mind taking out the garbage? Superman marry Lois Lane? Why, I'd sooner see the six-million-dollar man marry one of Charlie's angels. What's that, Julie? Nah, you just gotta be kidding. Aren't you? That's Len Wein. And, of course, the guy that played the six-million-dollar man married Farrah Fawcett, who was one of Charlie's angels. So, yeah. So, I guess we've got one yes and, what's four no's. Hmm. Next up, we have Carrie Bates, who started writing for Superman way back during the late Silver Age and continued all the way to the end of the Bronze Age. And he writes, The day Superman marries Lois Lane will be an extraordinary 24 hours indeed. When the happy event finally takes place, I predict it will coincide with a number of other happenings equally monumental. For instance, the day Superman marries Lois Lane will be the same day New York City proclaims its finances are prospering so well it's begun lending millions of dollars to other cities less fortunate. That day, Archie Bunker will take a taxi home from work early so he can surprise Edith with a nine-course gourmet dinner he's taken time to cook all by himself. It's the day Detroit will unveil a new car that is actually built to last even after the warranty runs out. In Washington, Congress will pass a law that makes it illegal for parents to pay their children any allowance under $35 a week. In London, on this very special day, the Beatles will reunite the Be- yeah, in London on this very special day, the Beatles will reunite for a command performance before the royal family. In fact, the Queen herself will come down on stage and join the madcap foursome in a number singing two-part harmony with Paul. Millions of miles away, the latest NASA probe will land on Mars to photograph Ray, Bad- Ray Bradbury and his family driving across the Martian desert in their new mobile home. Back on Earth, it will be the day weather forecasters begin making five-day forecasts that are 100% accurate. Elton John will donate all 700 pairs of his glasses to Mount Palomar Observatory and begin wearing contact lenses. Chewing gum manufacturers will only charge a nickel. And that continues going. Apparently, Carrie's letter went on for about 38 pages, but got short because of uh, lack of space. So, apparently, we don't have a... uh, really answer for that. Uh, I'm guessing it's the fact that he's going with no because none of this stuff will happen. Next up, they asked Elizabeth M. Smith. She, at the time, was a student at the University of Washington and was the the Superman family's newest writer, doing backup features on Clark, Laurie the Mermaid, and others for Action Comics. And she writes, Should Superman marry Lois Lane? Certainly not. Who would give out charge plates to Lois Superman? Anyway, 
Think of, think of the legal problems with the IRS. Superman shouldn't, couldn't, and can't marry Lois. Clark Kent, however, should and hopefully will. You see, as someone has noted before, although Superman and Clark may be one and the same person, they are two distinct personalities with separate thinking processes and taste, except for Lois, of course. Superman is now and ever self-contained. He is, after all, Superman. He certainly doesn't need anyone, least of all Lois, and his world-saving propensities don't allow scope for such mundane details as taking out the garbage, remembering by stamps so that Lois can pay the bills, or even rising at 2 a.m. to feed the kid. To save time, he'd probably invent a massive machine to do it all for him, so, or how superhuman, and how dull. By the same token, Clark is Clark, and Clark is so very human, so very mortal. He needs companionship, fallible, idiosyncratic, whimsical, and perfectly human companionship human like Clark himself. He should marry Lois, if only to supplement that part of his mortal personality, which, in truth, needs Lois. Besides, I've already designed a wedding cake for them. Do you want it to rot? So, that's a no for Superman and a yes for Clark. I don't know how to put that on the scale. So we're going to move to the next letter. The next one is from Jerry Conway who at this time uh, was mostly known for working on Spider-Man, as well as the uh, 1976 Superman-Spider-Man team-up. He'd also written a few issues of Superman, as well as some Justice League. He'll go on to write Justice League for, the, uh, for a long time, even when they, when they restarted with the Detroit League. Uh, and, uh, of course, he at this point, he had just finished his stint on All-Star Comics, which uh, which came back to uh, return the Justice Society of America to comics. And, yeah, he's also, in the future, will, of course, introduce Firestorm to the world, which is probably one of his uh, most well-known creations. Killer Croc being his other. He writes... Should Superman marry Lois Lane? Does a chicken have lips? Let's face it, if ever a relationship was doomed to failure, it's the Clark-Lois-Superman triangle. The girl is just too suspicious, pushy, and critical. Ordinarily, in your average hysterical relationship, these traits might be an asset. But when you're dealing with an orphan Kryptonian, unsure of his own place in the world, forget it. Not that Lois and Clark might not marry, but there have been other terrible mistakes made in marriage department. Dick and Liz, Frank and Mia... Eddie and Debbie, Jaja and you name him. So Clark and Lois might get hitched, but boy would it be a boo-boo. Nope. If Superman is to marry anyone, it'll have to be someone he's known for a long time. A relationship that's past its story begin stormy beginnings, his first true love, the only woman who's really right for someone from a different culture because her father was an archaeologist, namely Lana Lang. Besides, I've always had a thing for red-haired women being the loves of my superheroes? P.S. folks, on the other hand, of course this is the fact that he was the one that killed, uh, Jerry Conway is the writer that uh, wrote the death of Gwen Stacy over in the Spider-Man books, and also began the long on-again, off-again courtship of Mary Jane and Peter. So yeah. Next up, they asked Kurt Swan. Now, Kurt Swan's been drawing Superman comics. Um, 
Well, he's been he was drawing Superboy way, way, way back in the forties and moved up to Superman in action and is still drawing the comics up at the at the yeah, up at the point where this issue came out and did not really retire until about eighty five. So, actually eighty six. So he probably knows Superman more than any of these guys. And he says Superman marry Lois? No. Lois marry Superman? That, too, is a firm negative. Marriage conjures up visions of domesticity. Domesticity. Something like that. Domesticity. Children, installment buying, mortgage, etc. Rather mundane complications that are all too familiar to most of us. Better Superman slash Clark Kent should have the freedom to swing around the world and the universe. And how nice to relate to the opposite sex without the shackles of marital vows. Now, if Superman slash Clark Kent appeared on a TV soap opera, there would be no problem. You could dissolve the relationship in any number of ways without incurring the wrath of many good people. That's my opinion. As briefly as I want to stay to here, after all, who am I to say? I've been married to the same woman for 32 years. Finally, our last letter in the book comes from Beth Montalone. Montaloni, Montalone. She's of Rochester, New York, and is among the best known of the contributors to the letters columns. The question, should Superman marry Lois Lane? The answer, I say, yes. Clark Kent should marry Lois Lane. This is undoubtedly a bold step for one of the best known, if not the best known, superheroes ever, but it is one whose time has come. Recent developments in the action in Superman mags have irrevocably changed the Lois-Clark relationship. Formerly, Lois felt disdain for and or pity for Milksop Clark Kent when she wasn't suspecting him to be Superman. Things are different now. Lois has matured and mellowed and has found Clark to be an exciting, virile, with an exclamation point, and sometimes confusing individual. It is unclear at this writing whether she is aware of his double identity. The point, though, is that she is attracted to Clark as well as Superman. It is this fact that makes the marriage possibly it is this fact which makes the marriage possibility feasible. Clark would certainly not give up, or Superman would certainly not give up the Clarkian identity. Therefore, Lois and Clark would have to marry. This would now be a natural development, and I think an inevitable one. You can't go on this way forever with the, rela the relationship in a kind of limbo. We know that Superman loves Lois and has learned that his private life is also important. So go to it, guys. And that's it. So, although there were a couple of yeses, it was mostly noes. Now, now that we've heard those responses, it's time for a slightly different point of view. A little while ago, when I knew that I was going to be covering this issue, I reached out to some of my fellow pa podcasting friends and asked them this very same question. But for them, I put it in two parts. First, I asked them to pretend it was 1985 the end of the Bronze Age, and almost the end of the pre-crisis Superman. And if, the, if it was 1985, knowing what they know now, do they think that Superman and Lois should get married? And second, after having read almost 15 years of stories in which Superman and Lois were married, was the marriage a good thing or a bad thing? And after a couple more promos, we'll hear what they had to say. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. 
An enemy we don't yet fully understand. It was for this moment that we were created. But I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Green Lantern's Lantern's Light. Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. First up, I got a response from Steve Eunice. He runs the Superman homepage. He is not only does the weekly Speeding Bulletins video cast, he also does a monthly show with Scotty V called Radio KAL. And he, every Monday night, he does Radio KAL Live with Michael Bailey, where they just talk about Superman for about an hour. And, and most of the time, they have interviews with former writers, former Superman creators, or and or actors, and others. So, here's what Steve wrote. I think The Marriage of Lois and Clark was a good thing for its time. Readers of comic books have continued to increase in age, to the point where in 1985, the majority of readers were adults. For adults to relate to the stories being told in Superman, his relationship with Lois was a natural area, which was a natural area to focus on and advance. Thank you, Steve. Next up, we have Andrew Leyland. If you don't know who that is, shame on you. He hosts Hey Kids Comics with his son Michael, which comes out every week, and he also co-host Fantastic Cast with Stephen Lacey, which can be found at 
fantasticcast.libsyn.com. And there's the Fantastic Forecast. I think it's just Fantasticcast. Anyway, I'll take that part out. He writes, number uh, for your first question. 1985, Andrew would probably not be too bothered if Lois and Clark of Earth One got married, as girls just are just stopping being icky to him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, I seem to recall Clark was dating Lana Lang around this time, as Superman had split up with Lois. I don't think Andrew, 1985 Andrew would have been. Let's see. I don't think 1985 Andrew would have minded too much, as long as it wasn't rushed like Peter and Mary Jane's wedding was. He'd have been fine. After all, it worked out okay for the Earth 2 Superman. Good point. And for the second question, back to 2013. The engagement and Lois finding out were good things. It doesn't really change the dynamic that much if Lois knows, and in fact, it adds to her character. Lois can run cover, make excuses, etc., and stop Clark from having to come up with lame excuses. I'd probably argue Lana didn't need to know if the writers knew that this is where they were going, but they didn't know at the time. The marriage itself was rushed to tie in with a TV show that has long since gone, whilst the comics still plug on, something they didn't learn from Spider-Man's wedding. But was handled well and... Uh, while the comics, whilst the comics still plug on, something they didn't learn from Spider-Man's wedding, but has, was handled well in and of itself. The problem in, the problem in this, and with Spider-Man, is once married, the strip stalls. At some point, most marriages lead to children who age and therefore age the main character. If you have to decide when making a decision like this with a long-running character, where you go after the marriage, or you have to decide when making a decision like this with a long-running character, where you go after the marriage, not the marriage itself. Plus, no wife, I don't care how patient, is going to take their husband taking off on a second's notice all the time. Eventually, something has to give. Hope that's okay. Take care, Andy. That's perfect. So, the engagement and Lois finding out were good. The marriage, not so much. I think I understand. Well, thank you, Andy. Next up is Billy Hogan, who is the host of the Superman Fan Podcast. Billy writes, Charlie, I would say yes to both questions. If modern superhero comics explore all aspects of, this, of the human condition for storylines to attract readers, why not explore the effect being a superhero would have on a married couple? For me, to say superheroes can't be married plays into the cliché of superhero comics fans as a boys club who don't do well around girls to a certain extent. I think that the marriage of Clark slash Superman and Lois was a good thing. I've read Superman comics off and on since the 1960s. After several decades of Superman keeping Lois at arm's length romantically, there comes a point where that plot point runs out of gas. It was about time to take the relationship in a different direction and make them a couple. It added story opportunities that weren't available before. I'm probably part of a very small minority, but I would not be against exploring a superhero couple having children. As I get older, reading about the relationships of superheroes is as important as the action. Billy Hogan, Eustis, Florida. Thank you, Billy. So that's a yes, this should be done. And lastly, I got a response from Michael Bradley, who hosts two different shows. He hosts The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, as well as Green Lantern's Light. And he writes, as far as number one, being in 1985, I probably would have wanted to see it, but not actually wanted it to happen. Fans, myself included, can be a fickle lot, but deep down they remain consistent. They say they want change, 
but really don't want that much variance from the established status quo. Plus, in 1985, we already had a married Superman in the, lo in, in the Earth 2 version. Yes, it wasn't the main Superman, but it presented an opportunity to allow fans who wanted a married Superman to see how it would play out. So yes, but no is my answer. How's that for towing the line? Very helpful. Thank you, Mike. The second question. I'm a fan of the post-crisis Superman. I'm a fan of Superman, period. But at the end of the day, the post-crisis incarnation is my bread and butter. As a fan of that era, I love the progression we got over those 20-plus years. We saw Clark and Lois meet. We saw him fall in love with her. We saw their courtship, the engagement, the ups, the downs, the breakup, the reconciliation, the wedding. And finally, where no non-imaginary, non-dream, non-obscure, non-alternate Earth, non-soon-to-be retcon story had gone before, Mr. and Mrs. Clark Kent married to heaven to hold for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, until death do they part. It was done. It was, almost all, beautifully written, and I wouldn't trade it as part of that era of Superman. Unfortunately, taking a step backward and looking at it with such impartiality as I can, I recognize and am ready to admit that the situation does present certain limitations. Yes, the trip to a married Clark Superman Kent can be wonderful. Yes, a married Clark Superman Kent does open up new doors, but those are slim doors opening to small rooms. And once those small rooms have been explored, where do you go from there? And worst yet, how do you undo it? DC Comics will not allow a divorced Superman, at least I hope not, and we, and we saw the reaction with Marvel and Spider-Man in the mind-wipe scenario. Neither are satisfying options. So was the marriage a good thing? Yes, it was. It gave us years of wonderful storylines and is an intrinsic part of the post-crisis Superman. Was I sad to see it go? Yes, because it really was a good thing while it lasted. I just hope DC isn't in too much of a hurry to make it happen again with New 52 Superman. Michael. P.S. And if they do, I hope they bring back Myrtle Beach. Because if there's one thing the fans are clamoring for, it's the New 52 version of Myrtle Beach. Truth. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <sighs> Myrtle Beach. That would be funny. Anyway. So, thank you guys for your responses. As for my thoughts, if I was asked in 1985, I would say they shouldn't get married. Those versions of the characters would never work well married. That version of Superman was more focused on saving the world to Superman than he is about Clark Kent, because, at the time, he was Superman first, Clark second. After all, by this point, it is well known that Lois and Superman have had a have had a romantic relationship, and like Marty Pascal pointed out, um, getting married to her wouldn't put her in any more danger than being her girl his girlfriend. Um, Lois, besides, by this point, at the end of the Bronze Age, Lois had broken up with Superman partially because they could never have a real relationship, and because the rest of the world would always come first. So. And it wasn't fair for her to put her life on hold for him, or for him to put his life on hold f for her. So I don't think these versions of the characters should have gotten married because it would be out of character for both of them to do so. As for whether the marriage was a good thing or a bad thing, I'd like to think it was a good thing. The post-crisis version of the characters were much 
more like equals, other than the whole superpower thing. And the fact that Superman was Clark first meant that he could actually be there for her as a husband without having to go out on a patrol or something. Plus, this Lois could take care of herself much better, and it also helps that she was in an era in which the roles of men and women are more equal than in the Bronze Age, so there's just as much of a chance of her going out and working on a story that could help save the world while Clark was at home watching television. In fact, I think the best evidence of how well the marriage worked out is both the fan outcry that resulted from the announcement that they would not be married in the New 52, and then again when it was announced that Superman and Wonder Woman were going to start dating. So, yeah. Granted, it wasn't pointed out in any of the movies, or in any TV shows outside of... Well, Lois and Clark had it, and... They kept getting close to it, but never quite making it on Smallville. But, you know, I, re I really think it was a good thing. Yes, there were some stories that weren't that kind of hurt it. Um, but I really think that it was a good idea. And that's going to end our three-part coverage of the Superman Spectacular. I really hope you all enjoyed it. But we're not done yet. Oh no. Next up, J. David Weeder once again returns to the 30th century to spend some time with Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes in the Bronze Age. The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome once again to Superboy in the Bronze Age, where I, J. David Weeder, travel back to the Age of Bronze and cover a tale of the Teen of Steel alongside those young heroes of the 30th century, the Legion of Superheroes. This time our tale is once again written by Carrie Bates, but the art is now done by Mr. Mike Grell. And this is in Superboy, starring the Legion of Superheroes number 203, the August 1974 issue featuring a cover by Nick Carty. It shows Superboy, Monel, Invisible Kid, and Phantom Girl peering into a mysterious metal box which is glowing. Phantom Girl calls out, an evil force is coming to attack us, but what can it be? Well, Validus is in the background, big brutish Validus, right behind them and he's reaching out for them. That could be a clue. The story is Massacre by Remote Control, and it opens at midnight at the Legion headquarters in 30th century Metropolis. Shadowy figures clad in black from head to toe, each bearing a Roman numeral break into HQ. But Monel, Superboy, and Sunboy are alerted by an alarm and put out a call to the other Legionnaires. The intruders split up, using various means to make their way through the fortress, each one meeting with defeat. Well, all but one. This one makes it to the museum, where he sets off a device giving off a massive infrared effect. As Superboy makes it to the museum, he discovers the saboteur to be... Element Lad. Turns out this was all a simple training drill and the infrared effect was proof that the Legion needs a bit more work. But it was a good sequence, drawing the reader in with these mystery people using different means to make their way in, such as Element Lad turning the ground to sand and using that to make an underground entrance, or the humor of one clever intruder using the ventilation shaft 
only to land literally right in front of Sunboy. And then there's Monel and his ever-stretching cape, wrapping up villains. It's an amusing opening for a story that, to be honest with you, is going to have us reaching for our hankies by the time it ends. Get the Kleenex ready. So as we come back to the action, Monel is a bit peeved because there was supposed to be one more Legionnaire standing guard in the museum. Invisible Kid. But as they start the challenging look for a guy that's invisible, he materializes near a machine, and it collapses after moaning in pain. Invisible Kid is rushed to the medical lab and examined with the Mento scanner. That thing again? Really? Well, when you need a literal plot device, look no further than the Mento scanner. Peering into Invisible Kid's memories, we see him enter the invisible realm, a place he slips into when he dematerializes from our dimension. Within this world, he meets up with an invisible girl named Myla, who he seems to be dating. But Myla has a secret, and just as she is about to lay that on Invisible Kid along with Brainiac 5, Monel, and us, the reader, the view screen displaying the scene blows up. It blows up. And the explosion wakes Invisible Kid up, and he is cranky, refusing to talk about his invisible hottie, and he storms off. And with that, you know, now would be a good time to kind of fill you in a bit about Invisible Kid. According to Who's Who, his real name is Lyle Norg, and he first appeared in Action Comics number 267, and his powers come from a serum that allows him to make himself invisible at will. Along with Legion combat training and his flight ring, he is considered, at this time, to be the second most skilled Legionnaire. Brainiac 5 and Monel talk about what just happened, and determine that whatever the invisible girl told him was so severe, Invisible Kid has gone into shock and hysterical amnesia. Once again, what did R.J. Brand do to these kids? They're repressing memories, meeting girls in strange places, and probing each other's minds. Maybe, just maybe, Frederick Wortham was onto something. No, you know, Frederick Wortham was full of it. I'm not going to concede with that guy for the sake of a joke. But the next day, Invisible Kid is explaining how when he focuses on the invisible world, the real world goes out of focus as they walk through the museum past Therok's electronic brain which begins to spark and whir to life when they leave the room. Oh, and Invisible Kid has every intention of bringing Myla to the real world and making her his wife. And we switch scenes to Dream Girl as she is, well, dreaming. She sees Validus attacking and screams out, and the shot of her sleeping is really distracting. She's in this slinky nightgown, writhing around on the bed like it's a Prince video, and I... What was I talking about? Oh yeah, so based on Dream Girl's premonition, Superboy and the Legion begin investigating, and they find that Therak's brain is sending signals to Thvalidus, which they can track. But when Superboy flies off to the space prison to check on Therak, he finds that Therak is out of commission, following his recent battle with the Legion, so his brain isn't actually functional. So how could he be controlling Validus? Maybe you figure that out, but let's go on with the story. Superboy is flying back to Legion HQ, where he sees Validus dive-bombing for the planet Earth, and the Teen of Steel intercepts, but the fight in space doesn't go well, because Validus is too strong and overpowers Superboy, and throws him to the Earth where Superboy crashes into the Legion headquarters. And following, Superboy is Validus, all mad, all strong, smashing through the HQ. He's overpowering all of the Legionnaires, save Invisible Kid, who was restored to active duty and has figured out that the display of Therak's brain in the museum is controlling Validus, free of Therak himself. As the Visible Kid grabs the reassembled brain and tries to crush it, Validus himself crashes through to protect this controller, and he snatches Invisible Kid up, squeezing him in his powerful grip as the Legionnaire makes a valiant attempt to crush the mechanical brain. Invisible Kid succeeds, destroying the brain and sending Validus off, but at the cost of his own life. 
and as the Legionnaires gather around their fallen comrade, Myla appears as a phantom and explains that the secret that she told Invisible Kid is... She is actually a ghost. But she will take care of Lyle. And we close with the Legion members realizing that Invisible Kid will now be with his dream woman for all time. Just holy... Wow. This, this story really had it all. All cylinders were firing here. We had solid Mike Grell art, some great action, including a compelling opening, a mystery, an emotional punch at the face at the, at the end. We also get some great insight on how Invisible Kid's powers work, a formidable foe in Validus, and a nail-biting climax. The story really speaks for itself, and if you ever see Superboy starring the Legion of Superheroes 204, snatch that up. Now I'm going to go mourn our friend Invisible Kid, for there will never be another like him. Wait. Oh well. Until next time, long live the Legion. And so, once again, we have reached the end of yet another episode. But fear not, listener, for you have an invitation to the wedding of the century. Well, the Bronze Age. Well, more like the decade, really. Well, 1978. Next episode, Superman marries Lois Lane. I know, I know. After all the stuff we just talked about this episode, I'm sure you're like... What? 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 But believe me, all will be revealed next time. See you then. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. The home of the show is at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman in the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. 